You know, just by way of introduction, I know that many of you, this is the first time you've been to one of my meetings, but uh, Charlie and Jill, Jamie and myself, uh, when I go to a lot of meetings, it's all about trying to get the people fired up and get you excited. How many of you are excited about the Lord and how many of you love the Lord? And we, you know, that's what it's all about. And that's good. I mean, it's good to love the Lord, but you know, our whole meeting is not about trying to get you worked up and get you to do something. But our whole focus is just praising God for what he's already done. And I found out that if you get people really thrilled about what Jesus has done for them, then you don't have to get them fired up. They're already fired up because that'll, that'll change your life. But there is so much religion today that is all about you just getting worked into a frenzy. And uh, of course, again, I'm preaching to the choir because those of you who are here are here. But so many people tell me that they see me on television. And I'm just sitting there talking and they think, well, he can't be anointed because he's not screaming and shouting. And he doesn't say glory to God. Duh. And he doesn't wipe his fevered brow. And they just think you can't be anointed. And, and they pass me up for years. And then eventually they listen and then God starts speaking to them. But there are people that don't think that you can have anything from God unless you work up a lather. <laughs> and let me just be polite about this. That's religious. It's religious. Now I'm not saying you can't be excited about God. I get excited about God, but... <laughs> I have to tell people I'm excited because this is about the way I always am. I'm really excited right now. But uh, I get excited about the Lord. It's not that I'm not excited, but I'm not excited about me. I'm excited about Jesus and what he's done for me. And there is a big difference between that. Charlie and Jill's music, if you listen, it's not about, oh God, move and oh God, we're believing for a mighty miracle and there's going to be, you know, so much as God's going to do something. He's the great I'm going to be, not the great I am. And th this is what so much of religion is all about. But man, there is, there is uh, power in just realizing what God has already done and resting in it. And you don't have to do something to work God up or to get him to move. He's already moved. We aren't in the process of trying to move God. God's not the one that's stuck. It's us that needs to move. And when you just find out what God has done, it, it, it just changes the whole Christian life. So anyway, I know that this may be different for some of you, but praise God, it's about time we try something different. Amen. I'm going to share with you, let's turn over to the book of Romans and I'm going to share with you about the true gospel. And when I first say that, many of you think, oh man, I know what the gospel is. But I, let me just start by saying that most people do not understand the true gospel. And I know that many of you would take issue with that and say, man, I've heard the word gospel since I was a little kid. Look at this verse in Romans 1 16, and I'll use this to make my first point. He says in Romans 1 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it talking about the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Notice it says that in it, the power of the, I mean, the gospel is the power of God revealed, uh, or excuse me, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It was the next verse. It says the, the righteousness of God is revealed for it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes this word. Salvation has become a religious cliche today. And people use the word salvation for all kinds of things. Uh, they will say I'm saved and they'll talk about this. And to the average Christian, not even talking about the misunderstanding that unbelievers have, but the average Christian believes that the word salvation is talking about the forgiveness of sins only. They have divided salvation up into parts and they say forgiveness of sins equals salvation. But healing, most people see that as an add-on to salvation, an added benefit, but not something that applies to everybody and prosperity and joy and peace and so many other things. If you are truly born again, if you have a relationship with God, I'm sure you believe God can do anything, but very few Christians believe it's already been done except forgiveness of sins. People believe that God has paid for our sins and that you can come and in a sense claim salvation. But you know what? That is a misconcept of what this is talking about. It is true that sins have already been forgiven and you can reach out and just take it, but salvation isn't limited to forgiveness of sins. The very Greek word that was used right here was used over 300 times in the New Testament and it applies to healing. For instance, in James chapter five, I believe it's verse 14. It says, if anybody is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint him with oil and pray over him and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. That word save right there is the exact same word here that it's the power of God unto salvation. And it's obvious that this isn't talking about that this is going to forgive the sins of the sick. This is talking about the healing of your body. Matter of fact, this Greek word means forgiveness of sins, healing and deliverance. For instance, depression is demonic. It's not just chemical. It's not physical. It's a demonic. And you have had that purchase for you that you can be free from demonic control. So the point that I'm making is it says the gospel is the power of God unto forgiveness of sins, healing, deliverance, joy, peace, lack of fear, anything that you want to mention. The gospel is the power of God unto that. And so if you use the word salvation, the way that the Bible uses it, that it encompasses everything that Jesus came to provide for us, then if you aren't healed, this is saying that you don't have the gospel working in your life because the gospel will, is the power of God to produce healing. If you don't have prosperity working in your life, you've got a problem understanding the gospel because the gospel is the power of God that will produce financial prosperity in your life. If you don't have joy unspeakable and full of glory, if you don't have an optimistic outlook on life, if you are beat down in any area of your life, if you're worried about the economy, then it's because you don't have the gospel working in your life. That's what this is saying. The gospel is the power of God unto everything that Jesus purchased for us. And if we don't have this end result over here that Jesus promised, 
then the problem is we don't fully appreciate and understand the gospel. And I could verify this. I could spend all of this weekend just verifying the point that I've made. Because again, this is new to some people. And they think, oh, I know what the gospel is. And yet I'm still sick. And I'm still poor. The scripture is saying that if you knew the gospel, it is the power that produces healing in your body. Deliverance, joy, peace, happiness, vision, and anointing, and anything else that you need. If you're deficient in any area of your life, some way we aren't really grasping and understanding the gospel. The word gospel has become a religious cliche to us. And today we use the word gospel to refer to everything. I've heard people before stand up and say, you're going to hell if you don't repent, repent or else turn or burn. And then they'll say, that's the gospel. (laughs) That's not the gospel. Those things are true. I heard a man on television today. I was eating breakfast and they had the uh, television on and they interviewed a pastor and he was preaching that there is no such thing as hell. And so that this physical life is all of the hell that there is. Nobody goes to hell. A loving God would never send anybody to hell. And he was saying that there is no such thing as hell. Well, that's not true. There is a hell. There is a heaven and there's a hell. There's a God and there's a devil. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. All of those things are true. And if you don't repent and make Jesus your personal savior, then you go to hell and not to heaven. That's true, but that's not the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. And I've studied this out and I've looked and I read one commentary that said that outside of the Bible, there's only two examples of this Greek word used in all Greek literature that we have today. And from that, he said that it was a word that meant good news. Yes, but it was a superlative that was hardly ever used because it literally means almost too good to be true news. It's just over the top like this is unbelievably good news. And it was never used very much until the Bible came along because not very much in this life is almost too good to be true news. There's a lot of bad news. And uh, even if you find something good, just wait a while and somebody will find some way to criticize it and it won't last and something will overshadow it. And you know what? In the natural realm, there is really no... uh, There's nothing that you can apply this to. But when they wrote the gospel, when they wrote the uh, Bible, they started taking this word and using it to what Jesus did because it is nearly too good to be true what Jesus did for us. And when people stand up and say, repent or else, turn or burn, you're going to hell. That is not nearly too good to be true news. (laughs) And yet this is what religion has taught us is the gospel preaching hellfire and damnation. I've had people come out before and say, if the preacher doesn't step on my toes, I just don't feel like I've been to church. What a terrible indictment against our modern day Christianity that has perverted and changed the gospel to where now, if you're telling a person that God's angry at you, do this or that. Like I was brought up in a church that literally, some of you are going to think this is not the truth, but it is the truth. But the preacher would jump up on this part where you put your Bible 
and he would stand on this part and there was a microphone here and he would bend over and scream and yell and he would scream and yell and dance and do so much that he would lose around five pounds every time he taught. <laughs> he would have, he had water literally pour over the edges of his shoe. Somebody think I'm goofing around, but I can tell you some stories. And he would scream and yell. One of the things he'd say is, if you don't pay your tithes, God will take it out in doctor bills. And what he meant was, you either fork over 10% or God's going to put you in the hospital and take it from you. He's going to get his 10% one way or the other. He was actually preaching more about the Godfather than he was God the Father. (laughs) And this is the way that a lot of people present the gospel is that It's like, you know, uh, Guido comes by and says, there's been a lot of businesses broken into, a lot of windows broken, a lot of arson in this area, but if you would pay me, I'll protect you. And then you find out Guido's the one that's breaking all of the windows and burning everything and you either pay him or you get your business burnt. That's the way the mafia works. And sad to say, this is the way that the church has represented God, that God's angry at you. And unless you pray, unless you fast, unless you read your Bible, God's not going to bless you. God won't heal you because you haven't been doing this and this and this. And they're saying that that's the gospel. That is not good news. That is not nearly too good to be true news. That is not the gospel. And I've got some pastors here tonight. There are good churches. I'm not saying that all churches are bad. There are good churches, but brothers and sisters, they're in a minority. The the gospel has been perverted and very few people today are hearing the true gospel that is nearly too good to be true news. Matter of fact, as I go into this and start talking about this weekend, some of you are going to have to swallow really big to be able to handle this. Some of you may take offense, but let me again, just go back to Romans 1 16, that the gospel is the power of God unto everything that Jesus has done for us. And if you are deficient in any area, if you're sick in your body, then don't fight so hard for the things, the thinking that has made you sick. Scripture says in Proverbs 23, seven, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. A lot of people just have a disconnect and they think, well, I don't have anything to do with being sick. I didn't do a thing. This just came upon me. There is a connection between the way you think and what's going on in your body. There's a connection between what you think and what goes on in your finances, what goes on in your emotions, what goes on in your marriage. And a lot of people think, no, that's not true. I didn't do a thing. I didn't sit here and think I want cancer. But what you did, you thought thoughts that made you inferior to cancer. You were thinking things like we have this old song in the, in the Christian realm that says, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's what I'm asking of you. That's a terrible song. <laughs> What's wrong with that is that I'm not just a man. I've been born again. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I've got the power of God living on the inside of me And for me to look at cancer and think, oh, it's cancer. Oh God, Uh, I'm not sure you can do this. 
I've had people come to me before and say things like, oh, we're going to have to really pray. I mean, you need to fast and pray and you need to prepare yourself because this is a big one. This is hard. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> Some of you have done the same thing. You, you think this, God won't answer your prayer. So you got to get the prayer chain. You got to get a hundred people or a thousand people praying and put enough pressure on God that finally something will happen. Man, we got some screwed up ideas on the way that God operates. I had a man come to me one time and he says, oh, I got terrible pain in my neck. And he says, I can't sleep. I just constantly in pain. And he says, his pain goes down my back and I've got pain in my hips. I've got a sciatic nerve that goes down into my foot. I've got neuropathy. And he just named off all of this stuff. And I was just listening to him and he was naming all of this stuff. And he says, But you know, the thing that's really bad is my neck. If God could just heal my neck, I can live with the rest of it. (laughs) And I said, well, I understand what you're saying. I mean, uh, if God was to heal everything all at once, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure God's got enough power to pull that all off. I said, let's not overtax him. Let's not uh, do something that's too hard for God. And this guy just looked at me and he said, that's pretty stupid, wasn't it? I said, that's real stupid. (laughs) But there are some of you that honestly, this is the way, oh God, I know that, you know, I've got a bunch of things, but if I could just get this one thing healed as if God is short on power and and it's because you don't understand the gospel. And we have related God's performance to our performance. And we think that sure, God can do anything, but I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. You don't understand the gospel. Satan, he cannot truly accuse God and tell you that God doesn't have the power. You know, I met one man tonight who said that he really didn't want to come here. His wife drug him. (laughs) And so there may be some of you like that. But most of you that are out here at a hotel listening to a hick from Texas on a Thursday night, you're a stark raving mad fanatic. Amen. And you believe, you believe in the supernatural power of God or you wouldn't be here. And so you believe that God can do anything. You know, I saw my son raised from the dead after he was dead for four and a half hours. He was stripped naked and on a slab in a morgue with a toe tag on in a cooler. And Jamie and I just agreed and prayed and he woke up and started talking. And, and there was no brain damage, no more than he had before. Praise God. <laughs> Most of you believe in that. And if somebody fell over dead here tonight, and if I said, all right, how many of you believe that God can raise somebody from the dead? Boy, you'd shout and scream and holler with me. And if I said, how many of you believe I'm going to pray for this person? They'll be raised from the dead. Many of you would just, amen, brother. You'd get up here. You'd want to see it. But you know where I could lose 99% of the people that are in this auditorium is I say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here and pray for them. And all of a sudden, what happens? You had no doubt that God could do it. You would believe that it would happen if I pray. But when I say, all right, if you believe it, you come up here. All of a sudden, your faith turns to fear. Your excitement turns to dread. 
What changed? Did your, cha- did your attitude about God change? You know what changes? You think, oh, I'm not worthy. I haven't been studying. I am not worth this. Well, here's a newsflash for you. I'm not worth it either. God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. But we tend to put ministers in a category where we think all you do is stay and stand around and pray and study the word all day long. And you're holy somehow or another. And you think that God will do something through me, but he wouldn't do it through you. The only thing that changed is that you know you better than you know me. If you knew me as well as you know you, you wouldn't have any more faith in my prayers than you got in your prayers. But see, you are not listening to the gospel. The gospel, as I go into this and explain it, is saying that God moves totally because he is good, not because you're good. The only thing... The only thing it takes to receive from God is faith in what Jesus did. And yet the church has been preaching that, no, it takes performance. If you haven't studied the word, if you haven't prayed, if you don't uh, do this, if you had a fight on the way to church tonight, God won't answer your prayers. God can't use you because you haven't done this and this and this. That is being preached nearly without exception in the body of Christ today. And that is anti-gospel. That is not the good news. That's bad news. If anything that God has is tied to your performance and you have to be good enough to earn it, then it's bad news. Because the truth is you may be better than you've ever been. You may be better than I am, but who wants to be the best sinner that ever got denied anything? All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And as long as you think that I've got to do everything right, and unless I'm pleasing God in all of these areas, God won't move in my life. If you believe that, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he will always point out your sin and show you the things that you've done wrong. And you won't disbelieve that God has the power. You will just doubt his willingness to use his power because you have tied it to your performance. And that is where the body of Christ basically lives is with a sin consciousness and an unworthiness thinking that, oh God, I know you can heal, but would you heal me? What am I doing wrong? And we're introspective looking at ourselves instead of looking at a savior who's already paid everything and has offered it to us free of charge. And this is where the body of Christ is basically missing it is because we don't know the gospel, the nearly too good to be true news. You know, let me use an illustration here. If I, let's say that I was going to give you a million dollars. And if I came up to you and I said, you know what? I'm just out of the goodness of my heart. I'm going to give you a million dollars. I've deposited it and it is yours if one year from now, I'm going to monitor you. And if in one year you do not sin, and if you will live holy, and if you will do everything that I say, then in one year's time, you'll get that million dollars. Did you know most of you would just say, forget it. (laughs) You wouldn't even enter into that thing because you'd say there isn't a chance. 
But some of you might think, oh, for a million dollars, I'll live holy and I won't do anything wrong. And I won't dip or cuss or chew or go with those that do. Praise God. I'm going to live holy. And if you try and let's even increase it more like God, that I could even get inside your head and monitor your thoughts. So that not only do you have to not do something that's wrong, but you can't lust. You can't think wrong. You can't hate in your heart, which is what the Bible talks about. And if somehow or another I could monitor your thoughts and if you live holy and don't have any wrong thoughts, if you don't do anything wrong for a year, then I'll give you this million dollars. There isn't a single person in here that would be able to live to that standard. And if you tried it, And let's say that you went a month or two months or whatever it was. And then you just mess up over the slightest little thing. And then you, oh, I'll try it again. I'll do it another 12 months and I'll do good this time. And if you were to try this over and over, eventually you would become so bitter. You'd you'd come like, why did you even offer this to me? You're just tormenting me with this. I can't live up to this standard. And let's say I walked up to the next person and I said, all right, it didn't work for them, but I'll make you the same offer. You live a year with no sin in your life, not even in your thoughts. And I'll give you a million dollars. You know, this person over here who tried it and failed and was so hurt and so disappointed would come up and start saying, don't listen to him. Don't take it. You can't do it. That's just wrong. And you would not only not be able to do it, but you would be angry at me for dangling this carrot in front of you. And yet you couldn't live up to it. And in a sense, this is what religion has done. Religion has said, oh yeah, God's a great God. God has all of this power. And we believe what the scripture says about what happened to Moses and what happened to everybody else. And all of these things can happen. But in order for you to get it, you got to live holy. You got to do this. You got to go to church. You got to pay your tithes. You got to read the Bible every day. You can't get mad at anybody. You can't do this and you can't do that. And we have told people that God's blessing, his love is proportional to your performance. And so we're trying and trying and trying. And I'm just telling you, you fail constantly. There is not a person in here who's pleasing God in every single area of your life by your actions. You can't do it. And the good news, the gospel, the nearly too good to be true news is God doesn't demand it. That is not what God demands. God doesn't demand your performance. And some of you are going to start thinking right now, all right, so you're just saying that we can go live in sin and you can do anything. I'm saying that if you live in sin... Satan is going to take advantage of you because of living in sin. And so there is great advantage to living as holy as you can. And so you shouldn't live in sin. But the Bible, man, I'm, I'm trying to summarize the entire Bible. This is impossible. In the Old Testament, it basically said, do this and then God will do this. But in the New Testament, it says God did this. And now... You live holy as a byproduct. Holiness in the New Testament is a fruit, not a root of salvation. Holiness is the byproduct of relationship with God. If you could ever understand how much God loves you, which is what the gospel is all about. If you could understand the gospel, 
And understand that everything that God has is available to you completely separate from what you deserve. It's just a matter of, can you believe? Will you receive it by faith? If you could understand that, you would be so thrilled, so excited about a God almighty who, if justice was served, if it was just based on your performance, he wouldn't give a thing to anybody. But he placed all of his wrath and punishment and rejection on his son. And because of that, he hasn't got any anger for you left. He's not in a bad mood even. God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make God love you less. You can't make God love you more. You can't make him love you less. God loves you completely separate from what you deserve. And because of that love, he sent his son and took your sin and my sin and placed it on his son and punished his son for what you should have been punished, what I should have been punished. And if I have to suffer any for my sin, then Jesus was, uh, it was worthless. It was useless for him to suffer. He didn't just do a portion of it and then we make up the rest. No, Jesus paid it all. And if Jesus paid it all, then we just start trusting him and we get everything from the father in the name of Jesus. That means because of who Jesus is. You know, most of us have heard that you shouldn't take the name of the Lord in vain. And many of us in here really get offended when you hear people cursing and using God's name in vain and talking about Jesus. And yet, did you know Christians use the name of Jesus in vain constantly? Because every time you say, oh God, heal me because I'm praying, I'm doing better. I fasted more than I ever have. God, I'm living holy now. I know you're going to move in my life in the name of Jesus. You just took the name of Jesus in vain. Because when you pray and you say in the name of Jesus, what that means is father, not based on my goodness, but instead based on what Jesus has done because of what he has done, I expect to receive. And if you put in there that God, I'm doing good. And I know you're going to move in my life because I'm holier than I've ever been. And then you add in the name of Jesus, you have used the name of Jesus in vain. You have mixed it with your works. And that will not work. And you know what? This is just like so prevalent that it's hard for people to really focus on this because everything in this life is based on performance. Parents base their relationship with their children on performance. They come home and sing, you know, A, B, C to E, F, G. Now I've said my A, B, C's. Tell me what you think of me. And we say, oh, we're so proud of you. You've done so great. My my son and daughter is an honor student. You have bumper stickers and you reward them when they do good. And when they do bad, you punish them. Did you know what? That's dealing with them based on performance. And it's not totally wrong because this world runs on performance and they have to learn that you've got to perform if you're going to succeed. Your employer hires you based on performance. You can't tell him, say, well, I was at a meeting this weekend and I learned about unconditional love and it doesn't matter what I do. And so, you know what? I may or may not show up for work. I may or may not work. It's just grace. They'll fire you. Employers don't deal with you based on grace. 
Husband and wife don't deal with you based on grace. They should, but they don't. Jamie and I have counseled so many people that come in and say, they did this and this and this, and that's why I did this. Most people give their mate what they deserve. Nearly everything in this fallen world operates on performance. And when you do good, you succeed. When you do bad, you get punished. But with God, that doesn't work. God doesn't give us what we deserve. If God gave us what we deserve, every person in here would go to hell. Every one of us. Some of you think, well, you don't know me. I'm really pretty good. The Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? If you base your relationship with God on yourself, you don't deserve the power of God and the blessing of God. And sad to say, this is what we've been preached is that God will give you basically what you deserve and you've got to earn the favor of God. That is not the gospel. Instead, that's what, instead of empowering the believer, that's what empowers the devil. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 12. He's the accuser of the brethren. And if you have this thought that I've got to live holy and only when I do this and this and this will God move in my life, you have just opened yourself up to the condemnation of the devil because he will search until he finds something wrong. And I can guarantee you, every one of us have something wrong. There are some of you right now thinking terrible thoughts about me. (laughs) And you know what? The devil will take advantage of that and condemn you over it. When Jamie and I were pastoring in Pritchett, Colorado, we had uh, a small church. When we came there, it was about 10 or 12 people. We saw a man raised from the dead. And because of that, people started coming from everywhere. And we had 100 people coming to church in a town of 144 people. And we saw a lot of really great things happen. And uh, people started coming by the house and waking me up in the morning. I mean, nearly day and night, I was praying for people. I was sharing scriptures with them and stuff, but it wasn't for me to refuel and edify myself. I didn't have time to study or to pray. I was ministering to people nearly nonstop, 24 hours a day. And I began to realize that, you know what? I'm getting drained. I need to recharge my batteries. I need to get into the presence of the Lord, not in order to make God love me, but to get my heart back on the things of the Lord. And so I made a commitment to the Lord that I was going to fast and pray and study the word all day the next day. And I made this commitment to the Lord. Well, it turned out that somebody came by and woke me up in the morning and wanted prayer. And so I started praying, but I didn't pray for me and my fellowship with the Lord. I was praying for other people. And I was praying for people all up until noon. And then at noon, a man came that I had been witnessing to, and the guy wanted to take me out to lunch. And I thought, oh man, today could be the day that this guy gets born again. And I thought, I can't tell him I'm not eating. I could lose a chance to minister to him. So I went out and ate and I was hungry because I didn't have any breakfast. So I ate more than I normally did. (laughs) And then I was going to study the Bible, but the only time I opened the Bible all day long was to minister to other people. And so I had a Bible study that night and I was driving 45 miles over to this Bible study by myself. And on the way over, 
I was thinking, God, how could you ever use me? I promised you I'd fast and pray and study the word. And the only times I prayed was to pray for people. The only times I opened the Bible was to minister to people. And I ate twice as much for lunch as I normally would. (laughs) And I was feeling so unworthy. And as I was getting closer to the Bible study, I was praying and saying, oh God, you know, I'm just so sorry I failed you. And I Finally, I called out and I said, God, even though I don't deserve it, use me to minister to these people. If you won't do it for me, do it because you love the people. And I just still didn't feel any faith or any release that anything was going to happen. And as I I got closer, finally, I just said, oh God, do it because of who Jesus is. (laughs) And as soon as I said that, the Lord spoke to me and he said, who did you think I was going to do it because of? (laughs) And you know what? I had slipped back into thinking that I had to do all of these things in order to be worthy for God to use me. Some of you are looking at me like, you know what? If you, if you could be honest, I've never met a person in my life that didn't think that way naturally because that's the way that the world system operates. And sad to say, even Christians that get a glimpse of this only operate in it partially and they keep slipping back into thinking that they have to be worthy for God to use them. And I tell you, the moment you start tying God's power or his love to your performance, Satan has got you. Because you may be doing better than you've ever done, but you aren't doing perfect yet. You need a savior and you need faith in a savior and not faith in yourself. And sad to say again, religion is telling us that no, you've got to earn all of these things. This is why Paul's statements were so radical. You know, again, the word gospel and the word salvation have become religious cliches. And when we read them, it just doesn't mean much to us. But when Paul was reading this, I mean, writing this, he says, I am not ashamed of the nearly too good to be true news that people get what Jesus purchased for them, not what they deserve. I am not ashamed of it because that truth is what is the power of God that releases salvation, healing, deliverance, prosperity, joy, peace, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when he said this, the religious Jews just nearly... couldn't believe this because uh, again, I could, I'm summarizing things here and I'm making broad strokes, but I could defend this if I had time. But in the old Testament, it wasn't based on grace. It was based on what you deserved. You had to earn the favor of God. And this was a total opposite. It was like people were headed this direction. And when Jesus came, everything headed this direction. It was an about face. There's no way that you can mix these two. This is what Jesus was referring to when he says, you can't take a new cloth and put it on an old garment because when you wash it, the new cloth will shrink and it'll tear the old garment. You can't put new wine in an old wine skin because as it ferments, it'll break the wine skin. And what he was talking about is you can't put the new way that God is relating to people under the new covenant into the way it was done under the old covenant. They are exact opposites. Somebody is thinking, why would God have given something that he just turned around and then went the opposite direction? Well, in a sense, here's an attempt to try and and get this point across that, like say for instance, if, if people in here were all thinking that I'm good enough 
I don't need but just a little bit of help. I'm really a great, great person. And God, you know, he just needs to help me a little bit. Not like these other people that they're just total rank sinners. They need total salvation, but I just need a little bit. See, there's people that are always comparing themselves among themselves and measuring themselves and thinking I'm really good. This is why the Pharisees persecuted Jesus because they were trusting in their own goodness and thought that they had a relationship with God that was superior to the prostitutes and the publicans. And Jesus went and gave to the uh, prostitutes and publicans and they received from God and these religious Pharisees weren't receiving from God and they were offended. Like you mean all of my holiness doesn't do me any good. You mean I don't have a leg up on everybody else. And they were offended because of this. And so God, in an effort to take care of this self-righteousness, which is the worst sin of all. Self-righteousness is worse than homosexuality. Self-righteousness is worse than adultery. It's worse than any sin because in a sense, it diminishes Jesus. Did you know that there are homosexuals? There are prostitutes. There are murderers and liars that they know they don't deserve the things of God and they're closer to the kingdom than the self-righteous person who thinks, man, God owes it to me because I've been living holy. The sin of self-righteousness is the deadliest sin of all because it blinds people to their need for a savior. And so God had to take this deception away. He had to take away the deception that you could somehow or another earn salvation. You know, things are just so messed up today. People are relating themselves and comparing themselves and thinking, I'm really a good person. If you look in the Bible, any time that a person really was exposed to the glory of God, when an angel appeared or when some kind of a supernatural manifestation happened, in every case, People would fall on their face. Oh God, I'm unclean. Isaiah said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Some people think, well, that Isaiah was really in a bad shape. (laughs) I guarantee you, our society would make Isaiah's society look good in comparison. The truth is, the point I'm trying to get across is we compare ourselves with other people and get to thinking we're pretty good. But if you were to ever see the glory of God If somehow or another the glory of God manifested in this room and you could see God in all of his power and glory, there's not a person in here that would feel boldness in your, just your own natural self. You know, I haven't had maybe the greatest encounter with God of any person, but I have been caught up in the presence of God. I have seen the glory of God. And I guarantee you when I saw it, I knew that I was absolutely worthless in myself. Now, I felt tremendous worth and love and value because God loved me in spite of who I was, not because of who I was. But I'm saying I got, when you get into the presence of God, you get a relative sense of unworthiness because none of us deserve the things of God. And you may think, oh, I'm a really good person. Well, that's compared to me or compared to somebody else. But compared to Jesus, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So how does God get us out of this deception? 
How does God get us to recognize that we can't save ourselves? We can't get healed based on your goodness. You can't have joy based on your goodness. You can't get anything from God because you deserve it. How is it that God gets us into this place to where we receive things by grace instead of by performance? You know what he did? He gave the law. And people have misunderstood and thought, oh, God gave me the law so that to tell me what I had to do to be worthy. And so they start trying to fulfill the law. God didn't give the law so that you could keep it and be right with God. God gave the law, which was an infinitely greater standard than any human being could ever live up to so that it would show you that his standard is so far beyond your ability that you'd say, oh God, if that's what you demand, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's where he wanted you was to come to a place where you just repent and receive it by grace. The law was given to make you despair of self-righteousness, but religion has turned it around to where we are actually trying to use the law and performance and doing this and this and this in order for God to love us. That was the opposite of what it was for. It would be similar to me coming into this room. And if I had a machine gun, I said, all right, I'm going to kill certain people in this room. And the only people that will escape are those that can jump and touch the ceiling. There's some of you that couldn't jump off the floor if you had to. We might have Michael Jordan in here that could jump higher than anybody else. But you know what? There's not a single person in here that if that's the standard, you got to jump and touch the chandelier. Nobody would make it. None of us would make it. And that's in a sense what God did. Said, all right, those of you that think you're holy, you think you earn it. You think you deserve the power of God. You think that somehow or another you are worthy enough. Let me show you what you got to do. Thou shalt not. And he gave step one through 10,000. That was so far beyond our ability. The purpose of it was to make us say, oh God, if that's what you demand, have mercy on me. And that's what he was trying to do was to get you out of self-righteousness where you would ask for mercy instead of justice. And yet the average religious person today is in a sense demanding justice. God, I have done this and this and this. Now will you move in my life? You may be better than I am. You might be better than anybody in here, but you do not deserve the power of God. The only way to access it is by grace, by the gospel. Just understanding that, Father, I don't deserve anything, but I come to you in the name of Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, I put my total faith in him. And if the devil accuses you and starts saying, but what makes you think you're worthy? The scripture says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. Just agree with him. Say, devil, you know, you're right. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy. Praise God for Jesus. I'm going to pray and get it through who Jesus is instead of who through I am. Praise the Lord. And so you just begin to start worshiping him. And the law was given in the Old Testament. We have been told that it was given so that we could keep it. You can't keep the law. For instance, did you know that some of the laws concerning priests and the scripture says in 1 Peter that we are all kings and priests unto the Lord? 
You do not have to have somebody with their collar turned around backwards to stand between you and God. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just telling you that we're all kings and priests is what the Bible says. And if you are a priest, well, then you ought to go back and look at some of the requirements of a priest, like in uh, Leviticus chapter 21, 22. Did you know that if you are flat nosed, if your nose is flat, you're disqualified from being a priest? Did you know if you have a mole anywhere on your body, you are blemished and you can't be a priest? If you're left-handed, you can't be a priest. If you're flat-footed, you can't be a priest. If you can't hear, if you have poor eyesight, if you wear glasses, you can't be a priest. You know, the reason is because in the Old Testament, the priest was symbolizing Christ and they had to be perfect as Jesus was perfect. And under the new covenant, we are now kings and priests. And so if you're going to try and mix the old covenant and the new covenant, then if you're left-handed, if you have a mole on your body, if you're flat-footed, if you're flat-nosed, you can't be a priest. Why did God say those things? Because he hates people with moles on your body? No, it's not. He didn't say that so you could go burn the moles off your body. But for those of you who are thinking that I'm good enough and I deserve it and God is going to use me because I am God's gift to mankind, I'm awesome. Then God says, you think you're awesome? Let me show you how I created Adam. He was perfect. He didn't have broken bones. He didn't have flat feet. He didn't have a flat nose. He wasn't humpback. He didn't have poor eyesight. He didn't have moles on him. If you got any of those things, you're blemished. God doesn't dislike you because you're blemished. He loves us in spite of who we are. But if you're going to trust in yourself and if you're going to proclaim that I've got to be good enough for God to move in my life, he says, all right, let me show you what perfect is. And he gave this standard that condemned us all, not because he was mad at us, but he was trying to get us to turn away from trusting in ourselves so that we would trust in a savior. He made it so that every person, whether you've done good or bad, could still have access to him. All you have to do, the only thing that's required is you quit trusting in yourself and in your own goodness and proclaiming your own goodness and you humble yourself and you just come and say, Father, I don't deserve anything. I ask it for mercy, by mercy, by grace through who Jesus is. That's the new covenant. And sad to say, very few Christians are living under this new covenant. We are bearing about the ungodliness and the sin consciousness and the sense of unworthiness that people had in the Old Testament. I'm going to be sharing some things with you that I guarantee is going to rattle your religious cage. This will challenge you to the core, but the scripture says that we should have no more sin consciousness. You should not even be aware of sin. And yet the average Christian is constantly aware of sin. Every time you come before the Lord, oh God, we come before you so humbly. We don't deserve anything. Oh God, I failed again. And we feel like we've got to mention every sin real quickly before God mentions them. If we'll mention them, there's mercy. But if God brings them up, we're in big trouble. And we have a sin consciousness and we just constantly are talking about how unworthy we are. And yet the Bible says you shouldn't even have any more conscience of sin. Sin has been dealt with. I'm going to deal with this in more detail, but I'll just give you a tease that your sin, past, present, and even sins you hadn't committed yet have been forgiven. 
somebody's thinking, now, wait a minute. God can't forgive a sin before you commit it. You better hope that he can because he only died for sins one time 2,000 years ago before you ever committed him. If God can't forgive a sin before you commit it, you can't get forgiven. And I know that this just shocks people because their whole life, again, is based... But if you, if you preach this, if people believe this, they're just going to start living in sin because they don't have a fear of sin. I've had people say, you're giving them a license to sin. And I tell them, I said, they're sinning pretty good without a license. (laughs) This doesn't give people a license to sin. You know, I am really glad that God called me to preach on his grace and not performance. Because I'm telling you, I have lived holier accidentally than most of you have ever lived holy on purpose before. I'm turning 62 this month and I have never said a word of profanity in my life. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette in all of my life. And you know what? The reason I'm bringing this up is to say some people think, well, see, if you just believe in grace, you go live in sin. It didn't cause me to live in sin. It's just the opposite. The scripture says in Titus chapter two, verse uh, 11 and 12, the grace of God that has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly and righteously in this present life. The grace of God doesn't teach you to sin. Man, the grace of God changed my life. And I tell you, I started living holier for God after he showed me he is unmerited, unearned, deserved favor and grace. And once I understood that I didn't deserve anything and yet had everything, It didn't cause me to go live in sin. I have lived holier than I ever have before. That is a lie. It's a deception to think that preaching on grace causes people to live in sin. It actually frees people from sin. Matter of fact, let me just use a verse right here in the book of Romans in chapter four. In verse... um, In verse 15, it says, because the law works wrath, law releases wrath and condemnation from God for, uh, where no law is, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Let's see. Here's, where's the verse I'm looking for. That's a good one. Anyway, I should have had this marked. But it says, excuse me, that's over in Romans chapter 6. That's the reason I couldn't find it. It's wrong chapter. Over in Romans chapter 6. In verse 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. This is saying when you are not under the law is when you get free from the dominion of sin. When you are under the law, sin dominates you. Let me just show you a few verses here. I got a few moments. 
Let me do this. First Corinthians chapter 15. Let me just show you some verses that if you, you know, if the Bible means anything to you, this ought to change the way you look at some things. Sad to say, the scripture says, Mark chapter 7, verse 13, that traditions and doctrines of men make the word of no effect. And there's a lot of people that they don't let the Bible dictate what they believe. They believe what they believe because that's the way that it's been taught their whole life. This is what they've been taught. And so they don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. But if the Bible means anything to you, look at some verses right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. The law strengthens sin. The law didn't strengthen you in your battle against sin. It strengthens sin in its battle against you. Again, most Christians have embraced the Old Testament laws. Oh, thank you, God, for giving me these 10,000 things that I must do. Because they think this is going to diminish sin. This is going to help me to overcome sin. No, the law strengthened sin. Why would God give something that would strengthen sin? Because the truth is, you, sin had already beaten you. And yet we had this deception that, well, yes, I've sinned, but I just sinned a little bit. I didn't sin as much as some other people. And so I believe God's going to grade on a curve. He's got to accept somebody. And so I'm not as bad a sinner as somebody else. God will accept me. And the Lord needed to take away this deception of thinking that you could relate to him based on your own goodness. And so what did he do? He gave the law and it strengthened sin. It made sin come alive. Romans chapter seven says, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. The law made sin come alive on the inside of you. You know, every one of us understood this when you were a kid. If you wanted to get one of your friends to do something that they didn't want to do, all you had to do was give them a law. Say, thou shalt not do this. You can't do this. The moment you tell somebody they can't do it, something on the inside rises up and says, bless God, I will do it. (laughs) That's just, God didn't make us to be ruled over the way that we see so many things today. He didn't make Adam and Eve to live under laws and under restrictions. There's something on the inside of man that resists bondage and you want to be free. And when the moment somebody says, thou shalt not, human nature says, bless God, I shall. Amen. And God knew that. And so for those of you who thought that you had overcome and you made a new year's resolution and I'm never going to have another problem. That's all in the past. I'm changed. I don't need God. I changed myself. All God had to do was say, thou shalt not. And all of a sudden you started lusting for the very thing that he told you not to do. You know, there may be some of you that don't even like chocolate. I don't know how you exist if you don't like chocolate. (laughs) I heard that nine out of 10 people like chocolate and the 10th person always lies. But you know, even if you didn't like chocolate, if I said, thou shalt not eat chocolate for one year, some of you don't even like it would start being tempted to eat it just because it's off limits. 
If you make prohibition and say that you can't have alcohol, all of a sudden, man, it just went wild. The moment you tell people they can't do it, the, something inside of them says, bless God, I am going to do it. You know, I was running a race one time and I had turned in a personal best. It was a 6.2 mile race and I had turned in a personal record. I was, you know, from here to the back doors from being through with the race and a man started to pass me and I tried to keep up with him. I'm a competitor. And even though I was just exhausted, I still tried to keep up with this guy and he got just a step or two in front of me and he turned around and looked over his shoulder and he said, you could do better than that. And when he said that, it's just like the incredible Hulk. (laughs) Something rose up on the inside of me and I just passed that guy up. I beat him by, I don't know, a long ways in the last part of that race. And when I got to the finish line, I just collapsed. I don't know where this energy came from, but when somebody says you can't do it, something rises up and says, bless God, I can. And God knew that that's the way that we were. And so for those of us that thought I've overcome and I'm now a good person and I don't have any evil in me, I don't need God. I've changed myself. God says thou shalt not. And all of a sudden, The law strengthened sin. It made sin come alive on the inside of you and you started lusting for the very thing. The reason God gave the law was to make that sin rise to the surface so that you would quit being deceived of thinking that you could overcome sin on your own and somehow or another be good enough for God. And one of the slickest deceptions that the devil has ever done is to take the church Again, not all of the church, but much of the church today is embracing the law and saying it's a good thing and this will help you to overcome sin. No, sin strengthens the law. Or excuse me, the law strengthens sin. The law was given to strengthen sin. It doesn't help you in your battle. It helps sin beat you. The way that God dealt with sin in the Old Testament was to give it dominance and precedence over you. And he basically scared people into following him because they were so fearful of the wrath of God. But in the new covenant, he has now placed all of his wrath upon his son. His wrath is 100% satisfied. And he is drawing people today through the gospel, through the grace, not imputing your sins unto you, not giving you what you deserve. This is nearly too good to be true news. And many of us just can't embrace it because it's like we've been taught this way so long, but I can't, I just can't believe that God loves me the way I am. I'm going to be sharing things the next four services, sharing everything I can to help you to understand this, that God isn't looking on your outward appearance and your actions and your thoughts. He's looking at your born again heart and in your spirit. If you have been born again, you are as righteous and pure as Jesus is. And he is dealing with you based on who you are in Christ, not based on your flesh. Does this mean that you can just go live in sin? It means that God loves you if you go live in sin, but you're just stupid if you live in sin. I don't know how to make it any clearer than that. If you go live in sin, it says in Romans 6, 16, if you're still in Romans 6, it's right there. It says, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. 
If you yield to sin, you're yielding yourself to Satan who authored that sin. And if you do that, he is going to eat your lunch and pop the bag. Amen. That's one of the favorite expressions in the Bible school. (laughs) People have heard that. And so you don't want to give Satan that inroad. If you live in sin, you're just stupid, but I'm trying to get across that God loves you, stupid. (laughs) He's not mad at you. God's not rejecting you. It's not God who won't answer your prayer because you haven't done everything. It's your own conscience that's defiled. There are consequences to your actions. And if you are just doing something stupid, you need to quit it. But God does not see you and relate to you based on how you act and things like that. It's all based on whether or not you have made Jesus your savior. And if you do that, then you become a brand new person and God looks at you in the spirit and not in the flesh. And he sees you differently than you see yourself. Thank you, Jesus. And I can promise you, brothers and sisters, if you ever get a revelation of this, it will so transform you that you will live holier accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. It will make you so thankful that a God who, if it was justice, he'd turn us all into a pile of ashes. If it was just justice, God would hate every person in here. And some of you are thinking, oh, not me. You're the very person that the law was made for. (laughs) There's some of you thinking, oh, I'm really a good person. The law was given for people like you to bring you to the end of yourself. I was holding a meeting in Houston, Texas one time, and there was about 300 people. It was in a hotel like this, and a man walked by And he came in and stood at the back and then he started yelling at me. And the guy was either drunk or high on dope or something. He was not really coherent. And I tried to talk to him and he just wouldn't listen to me. And finally, he was disrupting the meeting and I just commanded him. I said, sit down and shut up in Jesus name. And this guy just sat right down and he stayed through the whole service. And after the meeting was over, I went and talked to him and I started telling him about the goodness of God and saying, You know, God loves you. God wants to set you free. Whatever it is that's bothering you, he can change your life. And I was telling him about the goodness of God and how he needed God in his life. And he says, I don't need God. I am God. He says, I am God. And he was proclaiming himself as God. So you know what I did? I whooped the law out on this guy. And I started say, I started quoting scriptures to him and saying, you sorry thing, you stink in the nostrils of God. And I just started showing him things and saying to him what the law said and condemning him and showing him his sin. And within a minute or two, this guy was in a puddle of tears. Oh God, I'm so sorry. And he was just so convicted of his sin. That's what the law was given for is to bring you to the end of yourself, but it cannot bring you to God. It'll show you your need for God, but it's only the gospel that has the power to save a person. And sad to say, the church is promoting the law and just showing people how ungodly they are and telling them all of these things. And it has made a performance-based religion to where people think I've got to do all of these things and then God will move in my life. And you'll never obtain unto it. 
Satan will always beat you if that's the attitude that you have. You've got to find the power of the gospel. You've got to come to realize that it's all based on what Jesus has done. And once you do that, it, it just sheds so much love in your heart. Once you get a relative sense of your unworthiness that God, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve your goodness. You know, I gave you this list. I've never said a cuss word. I've never done these things, but that doesn't make me better than anybody else. It's just all degrees of being a sinner. I'm not better than a person that's been a prostitute or something else. Now there are benefits in me never having gone out and committed adultery and never done dope and things like that. I don't have to deal with sexually transmitted diseases. I don't have to deal with uh, all of the embarrassment and the financial problems and all of these things. There's, there's benefits, physical benefits, but as far as God, I'm not any closer to God based on my performance than a person who's done anything. All of the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nobody has a leg up on another person. And if you're offended by that, thinking, so you're saying that all my goodness means nothing? Well, it helps you in the natural realm. You haven't opened up the same doors to the devil as some other people. And so you may not have the same degree of condemnation. You may not have the same sicknesses. You may not have the same conscience and the same uh, hurts and pains and bad experiences. But as far as God, no, you aren't any better than another person who's lived a terrible life. You have to all come to the Lord the exact same way. And that's putting faith in a savior and not in yourself. And if you're truly born again, every person did that. But then sad to say, religion has taught us, all right, now you're saved. You got to start praying and doing this and this and this in order for God to move in your life. And typically religion will teach Christians that God exists. He has power, but you've got to earn it. And that's the very thing that has stopped you from receiving things. Man, that is awesome truth. And I've just kind of given a scatter shot of a lot of different things. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to start in earnest on, all right, what is the gospel? And I'm going to answer questions and deal with things in more detail. And I believe that if you're able to come back and get this entire series that um, it's going to make a difference and you will start seeing power immediately. You know, I had a, I had a series that I taught on this similar to this 30 something years ago in Denver. And I taught about the grace of God and it was a very similar teaching. And did you know, we saw the greatest miracles that I'd ever seen up until that time. We started seeing blind eyes open, people coming out of wheelchairs, all kinds of things started happening once people understood that Jesus had already provided it and you didn't have to earn it. Your sins and your unworthiness couldn't stop it. It was just a simple matter of could you believe? And when people started believing, we saw awesome, awesome miracles. We were in Dublin, Ireland, and we had a woman come up. Her name was Melody. And she had, she looked like she was nine months pregnant and she was a heroin addict. She was the head of all of the heroin pushers in Dublin. And she had like, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30 people underneath her that sold dope and reported to her. And she was the head pusher. And anyway, she had hemorrhaged and this uh, was all from a hemorrhage and she was dying. She was just about dead. And they, they brought her into this meeting And she heard me preaching on the grace of God. And this was a woman who had been 
She had been living in sexual immorality, pushing dope. I don't know for sure, but you know, that's the culture where they kill people, whether it's with a gun or you just uh, get them so high on dope, people overdose and terrible things were going on. This woman heard the gospel, came forward. We prayed for her. And I mean, I watched her stomach just go down. Within five, 10 minutes, her stomach was normal. She completely came off of dope, was healed. She brought every dope pusher in the city into the meeting. And we saw dozens of dope pushers healed. We saw the closest thing to a revival that I've ever seen. Hundreds of dope pushers and drug addicts in Dublin got born again. It made the news and I went on radio about it. And it was, uh, it was an awesome time. You were there, weren't you, Wendell? That was one of the most awesome things that I've ever seen. And you know what caused it? Is a, is a woman just realizing, you mean God would move in my life even though I'm so terrible? And when we told her yes, she put faith in what Jesus did and she saw some awesome miracles. You know, the hardest people in the world to minister to are good, moral, religious people because they trust in themselves. It's self-righteousness. But you take an old sinner. You know, you take, you go into a church and somebody gets healed. Just miraculously healed like this woman who is a dope pusher. And you know what the average religious person will do? They'll swell up like, I had that same problem. How come God healed them and didn't heal me? And they'll start saying, man, I bake pies and I take them to the people who are sick and I do this and I go to church and I lead the woman's group and I do this and this and this. And how come God healed them and didn't heal me? The reason he did is because they trusted in Jesus and you are trusting in you. You are looking at your own goodness. And it is your own self-righteousness that stops the power of God. Self-righteousness is the power of the devil unto destruction. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And brothers and sisters, I think most of us have been polluted have gotten this disease of self-righteousness. It comes through close association with religion and it's contagious and it is infected just about everybody I know of. And we need a good dose of the gospel. Amen. And I believe we're going to have some good things happen this week. Father, I just thank you for this truth. And I ask the Holy Spirit to take these things that we've talked about and to reveal to us that your gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If we aren't seeing power manifest in our life, it's because we aren't truly working under the gospel. And Father, I just thank you for revealing this to people and thank you for opening up our heart and helping us to see this. And I believe that people are gonna get set free from our self-righteousness, our performance mentality. Father, we ask you to just exalt Jesus and to show us what he's done for us that our faith and trust would be in Jesus and not in ourselves, not in our own goodness. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, I know that this is hard on some people who've been taught the opposite. Father, I've been there. And I'm asking through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would just not let these truths that I've spoken leave them, that this would stick with people that you would work on them, reveal this to them and draw them back and that they would receive the goodness of God and let the power of the gospel begin to operate 
in their life. And Father, we thank you. We believe that that's happening in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you that if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus personally, this would be a great message for you to start putting your faith in Jesus. There's a lot of people today who are religious and they go to church and they're moral people and they think, isn't that enough? No. You can't just be good or better than you used to be. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God and you need a savior. You have to put your faith in him. Many people will say Jesus is their savior, but they don't even know what that means. Their faith is in themselves and you can tell by the way that they act. Here's a way to discern this. If you were, just imagine that if you were to die right now and if you were to stand before God and he says, what makes you worthy to enter into heaven? How would you answer? If you answer anything other than it's not my works, it's only Jesus. Jesus is my savior. If you were to point to yourself and say, but I'm a really good person. And I go to church and here's my tithing record. And I've tried to be as good as I can. You would go straight to hell. Because even though your goodness might be better than my goodness, it's not good enough to get you into heaven. The only answer that will get you into heaven is to say that there is nothing in me. I don't deserve it, but I put faith in a savior. Jesus is my savior. That's the only thing that will get you into heaven. So you may believe that God exists. You may even believe Jesus is the son of God, but is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in yourself? If tonight you realize that maybe I'm just religious, maybe I've acknowledged all of these things, but man, my faith is really in myself. You need to repent and you need to be born again and put your faith in Jesus. And then once you get born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some of you, I'm sure, don't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, because I am on television and I sit and I'm not screaming and yelling and running and sweating and wiping my fevered brow. Some of you didn't know I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. You came under false pretenses. You didn't know what you were getting into. But I tell you, I have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues And if you are going to experience really power in your life, Jesus said you receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You need not only to make Jesus your Lord, but then he told his disciples, don't go anywhere. Don't tell anybody, don't do anything until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues. If you haven't received that, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Somebody's thinking, so do you say that you aren't going to heaven if you don't have the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? No, that's not what I'm saying. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit. And as a matter of fact, you can get there quicker because you aren't going to have any power. You'll die of something along the way. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, but why would you want to? If you want power in this life, If you want to understand and receive what I'm talking about, the Bible says that the natural mind cannot receive the things of the spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to reveal this unto you. If you don't have this gift of speaking in tongues, you need it. I haven't got time to spend more time talking about it, but I'm just promising you that these are two things everybody needs. You must be born again. And if you are going to be victorious and really win in this life and operate in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you must 
receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this gift of speaking in tongues. Amen. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, I am. And so if you aren't sure, you ought to trust somebody who is. Somebody says, well, they don't teach that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. That's the reason I have to rent an auditorium. But I'm telling you, it works. How many of you in here already have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? See, you didn't know it, but you're in one of those holy roller meetings, amen. They will talk about you for being here, so you might as well get something, amen. Who in here says, I either need to be born again, make Jesus my Lord, or I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? Who's like that? If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. We're going to pray with you and we're going to help you to receive. Just be bold. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward and we want to pray with you and help you to receive here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Just get up out of your seat right now and come forward and we're going to help you to receive. Stand here facing me, okay? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Boy, isn't this awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Well, just keep coming forward. We'll get you down here somehow or another. You know, there may be some people think, well, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm just going to pray for you. That's all I'm going to do. And then I'm going to give everybody a free book. What a deal. You know what? You got nothing to lose. Some people think, well, I've already been prayed for and nothing happened. What if I go down there and nothing happens? Well, I can guarantee you this. If you don't come down here, nothing's going to happen. You know, if you come down here, I can't guarantee that you're going to receive. It depends on what you believe. But we're going to pray with you, and I'm going to give you a book that will help explain things to you, and it'll help you to understand. There's nothing to lose. There's everything to gain. There's no reason not to be coming forward. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. All right, before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and get this gift of speaking in tongues, the Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the gift of speaking in tongues. The gift of the Spirit. So you've got to receive the giver before you receive the gift. So you first of all have to be born again. You have to know for sure that you have been changed on the inside. And again, I stress that there's a lot of people who think, well, I'm a good person. I go to church. I believe in God and I believe that Jesus is the son of God. That doesn't make you a Christian. The scripture says you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. 
And when it says that you confess him as your Lord, that doesn't mean that you're saying I'll never make a mistake because I was teaching tonight that you can't live that. But you have to be willing for him to be Lord. You have to trust him and turn your life over and depend on him so that if you were to stand before God, you would say, it's not me, it's Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. Is there anybody here who's never done that? You've got to do that first. And we need to pray with you first and make sure that you are born again. Anybody here who's not sure and you want to pray? Here's one right here. Anybody else? Here's a couple of more. Here's another one. Here's a number of people here. Praise the Lord. Awesome. This is great. There may be some of you here that aren't sure, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to lead these that raise their hand in a prayer. And I'd like everybody here to pray this so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. And if you will say, repeat after me the words that I say, it's not magic. It doesn't just work. If you say these words, it magically works. You have to believe it. But if you will believe it with your heart and say it with your mouth, you'll be born again. Jesus has already forgiven your sins. And now it's just a matter of will you receive it by making him your Lord. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you'll pray it after me and believe, you'll be born again. Is that a good deal? Isn't that awesome? Man, to think you could pass from death unto life. By just a simple prayer of receiving. That's the goodness of God. That's the grace of God. That's nearly too good to be true, isn't it? (laughs) Praise God. Let's everybody say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. That you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. In Jesus' name. Amen. you believe that? Praise the Lord. Welcome, brother. God bless you. Oh, that's awesome. If you believe that, you just pass from death unto life. You know, some of you are still a male in your body or a female, but on the inside, you are brand new. And you'll spend the rest of your life figuring out what happened to you because you can't just feel it. It's something that you have to learn. So I've got a book I'm going to give you and it'll help explain it. But according to the scripture now, every person up here is the temple of God, is what the scripture says. Even these that just got born again are now the temple of God. And the reason that this is significant, or excuse me, it says that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the reason this is significant is because this is what God made you. He made you a temple for his Holy Spirit to dwell in. So there is no way that he would reject you and not give you the Holy Spirit. This is what he made you for. Some people teach that you can't get the Holy Spirit unless you're holy and unless you have all of your sins confessed and everything right. You can't have any faults in your life. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you got sin in your life, if you've got problems, you are the very one that God wants to fill with the Holy Spirit. So don't let some sense of unworthiness keep you from thinking that God's going to give you this power. He said, 
If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All you got to do is ask. If you are born again, you're the temple. And then all you got to do is open up the doors of this temple and ask. And man, the power of God comes flooding in. So we're just going to ask one time. I'm not going to beg. We aren't going to plead. We're just going to open up and welcome the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then I'd like our prayer ministers to come up here. And I don't know exactly how we'll do this because we probably got more people than we got prayer ministers. But the scripture says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to pray and ask. And then these prayer ministers are going to move among the crowd and start laying hands on you. Because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. And then after we do that, I'm going to ask you to quit asking and believe that God did what he said he'd do. He said that if you ask, he'll give. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to just at that time to lift your hands and start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And somebody says, what if I don't feel anything? We aren't asking for a feeling. It doesn't matter how you feel. When I received, I didn't feel a thing, but I got it. Amen. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to lift your hands and start thanking God with your mouth out loud. Thank him that praise God. I believe your word. I believe that I did get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and start praising God. And as you start praising God, then the rest of us that have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you are giving thanks well. You're praising God in the heavenly language. And so as we start praying in tongues, I want you to quit thanking in English and go to thanking Him in tongues and speak in a language that you don't know. And I know some of you are thinking, I don't, I don't know how to do it. How do I do it? I've got a book that will explain it. But if you're ready, you can do it right now. Let me just give you one thing. This is the number one thing that I found that stops people from speaking in tongues They think that the Lord is going to force you to pray in tongues. He'll just take control of you and you can't control it. That's not true. It says in Acts 2, 4, that they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or the inspiration. It's very similar to when I preached tonight. I believe that God spoke through me, but He didn't take my mouth and make it talk. I spoke. I made the words. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out in my sense of humor. It was me talking, but I believe God inspired it. Speaking in tongues is like that. You have to make sounds and by faith believe that God inspires it. And I can promise you that once you get beyond the newness of it and quit listening to yourself, you'll find it just flows out of you. And it's not you. It is you, but it's the Holy Spirit inspiring it. And anyway, if you're ready, you can do it right now, but I'll give you a book and I promise every one of you, God said that if you ask, he's going to give it to you. So God's going to give every one of you the Holy Spirit. It's like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. God's going to give every one of you this gift, but you have to speak and let him flow through. Amen. So you ready? You understand what we're going to do? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer believer. and I will speak in tongues. 
Father, I thank you for all of these. They are now born again. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we welcome you now. We open up the doors of these temples. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and fill us. Father, bring your power. Let the Holy Spirit come and indwell us and give us all of these gifts and the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We just receive it in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power to flow into your life right now in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Father, we thank you. Boy, that's the anointing power of the Holy Spirit flowing in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive and we release this power right now. Now, I want you to put your hands in the air and start thanking God. Thank God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. Thank him that the word is true. Father, I don't care what we feel like. You promised that you would give, and we believe that we receive, that power is flowing in our lives right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's just worship the Lord and pray in tongues. Don't be loud with it. Don't dominate the whole place, but just so that they won't feel like we're listening to them. And as we pray in tongues, you just join in with us. You know, those of you that are down here, if you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear one of our prayer ministers say. But that won't be the same as your tongue. Your tongue will be unique to you. But you got to start talking. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth and start making sounds. You can't pray in tongues in English at the same time. Thank you, Jesus. Sister, you got to open your mouth. Pray. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Just speak. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. I'd recognize the Holy Ghost anywhere. Thank you, Jesus. Brother, you can't pray in English and tongues at the same time. Let's worship the Lord in tongues. That's it, just speak. Well, lots of these are speaking in tongues. Lots of people are praying in a heavenly language. You know, when you first do this, it may not sound like much, but it's like a little baby. When they first talk, it doesn't sound like English, but the parent knows what they're trying to say. Your heavenly father is listening to your heart. You're bypassing your brain, your doubt and unbelief, and you're praying out of your born again spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive it. Thank you, Father. All right, if I could have your attention here for a minute, I'm sorry to interrupt you. There was a lot of people here praying in tongues. I believe that I believe all of you received it. Amen.
You know, when I first asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. It took me three and a half years to pray in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I had been told that it was of the devil and I had so much wrong thinking about it that I just couldn't do it. But I've written all of the things that God taught me in a book and I've had thousands of people come forward like this who didn't speak in tongues or weren't fluent or weren't sure. They read the book, they get their questions answered and then they begin to start operating in this. And I promise you, it's one of the most powerful experiences that you can receive. It's much more important than what any of you understand. I can promise you that. This is powerful, but you've got to understand it to get the full benefit. And I've written an entire book. This book covers what it is to be born again and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to give it to everyone because I want you to get the full benefit of this. We really want you to receive. So it's my free gift to you. And I've got Ashley over here, the man standing right there waving his Bible. He's going to take you right through that door into that room and give you a free book. What a deal. And if you would, please follow him. We want to give every one of you this book so that you can get the full benefit of what happened. Let's praise God for all of these. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't this amazing? I tell you what, I believe y'all are going to be stronger than horseradish. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this great? If this changes their life the way it did mine, I guarantee you, you're never going to be the same. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. These people up here are our prayer ministers. These are people that have been through a training. Melinda is the one that, Melinda right here is the head of our prayer ministry and they had a training. And these are people that are equipped to pray. Uh, Angie right here is a friend of ours. Her daughter goes to our Bible school. Her husband right here, they're separated by Bobby. But Angie and Al, he just got healed in December. He had a fractured hip with, I don't know, hundreds of fractures. They said he had never walked out of the hospital, but he did. And here he is walking. They said it'd be a year. And here he is. Well, Pastor Bobby right here is a pastor in Dallas, North Carolina, has a gift of miracles. And we see a lot of great things happen. A lot of these are our Bible college students, the lady down there with the pink hair. Well, I was pointing to, uh, man, I just went blank. Jerry, I was pointing at Jerry, but Catherine right next to her is also a Bible college student. They're all powerful people. And the reason I'm saying this, some people think I'm the only one that can pray, but it's not true. These, through these prayer ministers, we can pray for every person in here, whatever your needs are. And so I want to give you an invitation to come and let one of our prayer ministers 
lay hands on you and agree, and they will pray a prayer of faith, and we are going to see God perform miracles in here. So if you want prayer for anything, I'd like you to get up out of your seat, come forward, let one of our prayer ministers agree, and we're going to see miracles happen. We do have people standing at the aisles, and they will direct you towards a prayer minister so that everybody won't just get on one side or in front of one person. And if you'd cooperate with them, it'll help us to pray for everybody. The rest of you, if you'd wait a few moments, we'll let you go. But I do pray over everybody as these are praying, and I call out things through the gifts of the Spirit. And we always see lots of people that are sitting out there miraculously healed. We've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, hearts healed, all kinds of things. So you're welcome to stay and pray with us. But if you need to go, you're free to go. Remember that we have DVDs and CDs of tonight's service already duplicated out here. You can get them and I would encourage you to do so. And then we'll be back tomorrow morning and Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, and then Friday night at 7, Saturday night at 6. And please come back. I believe it's going to be a good set of meetings, and praise God, we're going to understand the gospel by the time we're through. Amen. So God bless you. You're dismissed if you need to be. And then we'll stay and pray with the rest of these. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we thank you, Jesus, that by your stripes we've already been healed. We believe that you've already healed all sickness and all disease. That whatever it is that these people need, we thank you that we've already been healed and that you placed this power on the inside of us. And so we stand here as your ministers and we release your life to flow through us to these people. We command sickness and disease, demonic things to leave and to be gone off of people right now in the name of Jesus. Here's the anointing of the Lord. Lord's healing somebody here that has a faulty uh, valve in your heart. You got a heart valve problem. And God's ministering a healing to that. Whoever that is, I'd like you to stand and raise your hand because there's already some people standing. But if that's you with the faulty heart valve, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's a lady back here. Anybody else? Here's another one. This is the anointing of God coming unto you. Is that you? Praise the Lord. Here's three people. Father, I just released this anointing right now and I speak to these heart valves. In the name of Jesus, you be healed. This is a word from God. This is happening right now. Don't worry about whether you can feel it or not. Just praise God. This is a word from God dealing with your problem. And God is healing that leaky valve right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Valve, you be healed right now. Father, I thank you that that heart is fine, that the blood flows freely. Thank you that whatever the problem is, it's over. That they're healed now in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. You believe you receive that? Amen. Amen. Isn't that awesome? You're going to see a difference. I believe that y'all were just healed. Thank you, Jesus. 
Well, there's a number of people in here that have been struggling with deafness. God is healing deafness right now. I'm assuming that you aren't totally deaf or you couldn't hear this. But you got some type of deafness or maybe it's certain pitches or maybe one ear or something. If you are dealing with deafness, I want you to stand and raise your hand and God is going to heal you. I believe that ears are opening right now in the name of Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I release your anointing right now and I command deafness to be gone off of these people. You spirit of deafness, be gone out of here now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Boy, there's a lot of demonic spirits that just left right there. Gone in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we loose the anointing of the Lord to come and touch their ears. Whatever was wrong with their ears, be healed now. There's nerves being healed in ears right here. Somebody had damage to it, like you had some kind of an accident, something stuck in your ear or something. Here's the healing power of God. Those ears are opening up now. I command the hearing to come back. Ears you open now in the name of Jesus. Somebody here had a a problem with just uh, noise in your ear. You had constantly noise. Here's the healing power of God taking this noise away from you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive these healings right now. And thank you for opening these ears right now. Father, we thank you and we believe that we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Who in here can already tell a difference in your hearing? Anybody can already tell the difference? Yes, ma'am. Were you deaf or just had partial hearing loss? Just a little bit. How's it now? Is it good? good. It's clear. Here's another one back here that can already hear. Anybody else that can tell a difference in your hearing already? Anyone else? You know, I had a friend of mine in Phoenix that I called out healing and we must have had 25 or 30 people that could hear a difference immediately, but this man didn't hear a thing. The next morning he went on his walk and he didn't put his hearing aids in. Without those, he couldn't hear hardly anything. And he realized he was hearing the crickets. And so that was like, I don't know, 12 hours later. But I believe every one of you is healed. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but I want you to praise God like you believe you're healed, amen. And I believe that your hearing is coming back to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We agree and receive it in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, there's a number of people here that have had problems with your shoulders. It's hard for you to lift your arms like this. If that's you, I want you to stand. Here's one right here. Here's the healing power of God. I want you to stand, raise your hands. Here's the healing power of Jesus right now flowing. And Father, whatever's wrong with these shoulders, we command rotator cuffs to be healed. Somebody's got calcium deposits that it stiffened up your joints. Here's the healing power of God right now. Paralysis, damage from a stroke. Command that to be gone in the name of Jesus. I just release the healing power of God. Here you are, able to move. All pain's gone now. 
Begin to move your arms around, your shoulders. Here's the healing power of God. Father, I thank you that pain is gone. We command all of the pain to be gone off of them. And Father, that freedom of movement comes back. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I believe lots of people were here. How many of you can already tell a difference? If that's you, I want you to raise your hands and wave at me like this. Look at all these people that have already been healed. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Man, that's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus, for touching all of these people. And we believe even people that may still have a pain or a lack of movement, we believe that you healed them all. We believe that those arms and shoulders are completely healed and it will manifest. Father, we just take our authority and thank you that you healed us all. Here's people being healed of stomach problems right now. Somebody's got pain down here in your lower abdomen. Here's the healing power of God. If this is you, do you have pain in your stomach, abdomen area? If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hands. Here's the healing power of God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for touching all of these people right now in Jesus' name. I speak that these problems in their stomach and their abdomen is healed. Somebody here has got colon problem. That colon is healed now in the name of Jesus. Father, I release this anointing. Command the pain to stop. Discomfort to stop. There's a woman here that what you were talking about was a female problem and pain associated with that. Here's the healing power of God. You're free of that right now in Jesus' name. It's over. You know, now you got to get that stuff out of your mind. You've had it in your mind so long. You think this is the way it has to be. It doesn't. God's just healed you. You aren't going to be like that anymore. Father, thank you for your healing power. We receive these miracles right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here had cancer in your abdomen. That's what was causing this problem. Here's the healing power of God. Who had cancer down here in your stomach area? This woman back here? That's the anointing of God. I believe that the healing power of God is, is this Karen? You're the one I talked to before the service. You're healed. You didn't tell me what you had. That's the Holy Ghost. Jesus is healing you and every bit of that pain is leaving you right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Father, we agree and we receive this miracle. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Somebody here has got brain problems. And this isn't just talking about that you aren't as sharp as you need to be. (laughs) But there's people here that your brain has been damaged, like through a stroke or through a, a tumor in the brain, or you've had a brain injury or something. Here's one right here. Anybody else? If that's you, I want you to stand. If you had a brain injury or you got a problem, I want you to stand and identify yourself. Here's a lady back here. Here's a man. Anybody else that's had a brain problem? Is this you too? Father, I just release your anointing right now. And whatever happened to these minds, these brains, in the name of Jesus, I command that problem to be gone, tumors to be gone brain cells to come back to life. Whatever was damaged, I loose the anointing of Jesus and believe that that power is flowing in them right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. 
I believe that that's the power of God. Brother, you're healed. I believe you're healed. You're recovering in Jesus' name. Father, we agree and we receive these things. Thank you, Father. Somebody here has got a problem with your throat. I don't know what it is. But you got a problem here with your throat. Is this you? Here's another one. Here's some back here. If that's you, I want you to stand. Raise your hand. I'm praying for you. Father, I release this power of God right now. And whatever is wrong with this, these throats, in Jesus' name, I speak your healing into these throats right now. Be healed. Satan, you loose them and let them go. There's pain leaving you right now. There's all of your pain and discomfort. Somebody was having trouble swallowing. Here's the healing power of God flowing through you. And I believe you'll be able to swallow normally now in the name of Jesus. Somebody had a swelling in your throat. Here's the power of God touching you. That swelling is going down. All that pain is over. Inflammation is gone in the name of Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I believe you're healed. You had a sore throat, swollen, an infection, and it's healed. You feeling good? I believe you're healed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive all of these healings now in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for healing us. Boy, here's a bunch of people that you've had neck problems from different things. Some things, it's an accident. Other people, I don't know what it is. But anyway, if you've had neck problems, that's the devil. He is a pain in the neck. Amen. If that's you with neck problem, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Praise God. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I just thank you and I release your power to touch these necks right now. Pain you be gone off of them. And whatever the source of this pain is, stop now. Satan, we command you to loose them and to let them go. I speak healing to disc, to nerves, to damage. Somebody's had an operation and it didn't accomplish. And because of it, you're just stuck in a bad situation. Here is the miraculous, supernatural healing power of God touching you. And in spite of what was damaged, every bit of this pain and discomfort goes right now. It's gone off of you in Jesus' name. God is fixing you, fixing what the doctors couldn't do. Father, we release this power and I thank you for healing them right now. That pain is gone in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. How many of you can already tell a difference in your neck? Right here, here's one. Here's another. Man, this is good. Here's a bunch of people that the pain's already gone. Move your neck around. Move like you didn't feel like moving. Praise the Lord. You feel good? You feel good? This blonde lady right there in the black in the brown blouse. How do you feel? Good. All right. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? Here's some back here at the back. Thank you, Jesus. 
Isn't this awesome? You know, we've seen dozens of people just supernaturally healed right here. Pain's already gone. Hearing's come. And there's some things that you may not be able to tell immediately, but you'll find out that you're healed. And the Lord is the same. It's God doesn't move in one person's life because they're holy and the other one, he didn't. No, God's the same, but some people just receive, others don't. I believe that every person's receiving here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles now in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, we praise you. Thank you that you're healing every single one. I believe that you've already provided it. We reach out and receive it. We receive it. Thank you, Jesus, for healing every person. Thank you that all sickness and disease is gone from our midst. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. We give you the glory, Father. We thank you that it's by your power, it's by your might, not because of our goodness. Not because of our goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, that's good. That's good. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to let you go. Looks like just about everybody that wants prayers is being prayed for. Thanks for coming. Don't forget that we'll be back. We've got four more services. And tonight's uh, service is already on DVD and CD. It's already duplicated out here. And you can pick that up on your way out. God bless you. You're dismissed.